Hello, and welcome to the USF Emergency Medicine Podcast. In this episode, I'll be talking about pediatric airway emergencies. First, we'll start in the upper airway. The clinical presentation of these emergencies are mostly strider, tachypnea, nasal flaring, and expiratory wheezing. Here is what strider sounds like. Strider can be broken up into two main types, inspiratory or expiratory. Inspiratory strider typically means the obstruction here is at or above the level of the larynx. In expiratory strider, the level of the obstruction is usually at the bronchial level or lower tracheal level. And now we'll move on to foreign body aspiration. This is the most common cause of accidental home death in children less than six years old. If strider here is present, the foreign body is in the larynx or trachea. If wheezing is present, the foreign body is in a mainstem bronchus or further down in the bronchial tree. The same principles apply for strider. Inspiratory is usually high and expiratory is usually low. Most of these foreign bodies are located in a mainstem bronchus, which is frequently the right mainstem bronchus because it goes straight down rather than veering off at an angle. There are three main phases to the presentation of foreign body aspiration. Number one is the acute onset of symptoms, which consists of choking, coughing, and gagging. And there is a latent asymptomatic period as the foreign body passes into the smaller airways. Then once it is there, there is a delayed onset of wheezing or strider, depending on the location of where it is, followed by pneumonia, because the secretions from the lungs are not able to be brought back up the respiratory tree. A key point here is that if you have a pediatric patient that comes in with a pneumonia in the same spot multiple times, think of an aspirated foreign body. And here's how you diagnose one. First, if we're looking at radiopaque foreign bodies, it's necessary to distinguish if the foreign body is in the esophagus versus the trachea. Think of a coin, and its thin side will go into a slot, basically. The trachea is a slot that goes from anterior to posterior direction, while the esophagus is a slot that goes from the left to the right side. So if you're doing an AP radiograph, which is similar to the bedside portable ones, and is in the esophagus, you will see the face of the coin or it's on face. However, if you're doing a lateral neck x-ray and you see the face of the coin, it is most likely in the trachea. With a foreign body that is partially obstructing a main stem bronchus, the obstructed lung becomes hyperinflated due to a ball valve effect with a mediastinal shift away from the foreign body on expiratory view of an x-ray. Additionally, x-rays can be hard to obtain in small children, especially expiratory ones, so bilateral decubitus x-rays can be done in young uncooperative children. Here the paradoxical hyperinflation will be where the foreign body is. Again, because of gravity, the side that is down should be less inflated than the side that is up. But with a aspirated foreign body, the side that is down will be hyperinflated, so it will be either the same size or greater than the side that is up. The management for all aspirated foreign bodies is removal by bronchoscopy. You need to consult ENT for this. Now we'll talk about epiglottitis. The usual age group for this is between two to six years of age. This is now relatively uncommon 
because of the Haemophilus influenza type B vaccine. So now, most epiglottitis is seen in unvaccinated children and in adults. Here the clinical presentation will be a child who is sitting upright with his chin thrust forward, mouth open, and neck slightly extended. Here, as in all infections of the upper airway that are bacterial, he appears toxic and apprehensive and is drooling, unable to swallow or handle his airway secretions. The child will typically be well until just a few hours prior to presentation where he developed these symptoms and a fever. A cough here is usually absent. The management for epiglottitis is usually to consult anesthesiology and ENT and not disturb the child. If there is moderate to severe respiratory distress, the child goes straight to the OR and has an airway placed by ENT in the OR. However, if this diagnosis is uncertain and they only have very slight respiratory distress, you can get a portable lateral soft tissue x-ray of the neck. Here the findings include that classic thumbprint sign in mild hypopharyngeal distension. If this study cannot be done portably, someone skilled in airway management, so you, must accompany the child to x-ray. Here there could be temptation to take a quick look with a tongue blade or do a fiber optic bronchoscope through the nose to sense the diagnosis, but this is not the time that you want to be a hero. These airways are in imminent danger and definitive diagnosis is ideally made in the operating room under controlled conditions by direct visualization of a cherry red epiglottis. Only after an airway has been obtained do you draw blood for laboratory studies including blood cultures. In epiglottitis, blood cultures are positive in roughly 80% of patients. You also administer antibiotics. Acceptable regimens include a second or third generation cephalosporin, such as cefetaxime or ceftriaxone or ampicillin sulbactam, and then you admit the patient to the ICU. And now we'll move on to croup, also known as laryngotracheitis. Here is what the croup cough sounds like. The usual age group here is between six months to six years old with a peak incidence of around two years old. The clinical presentation here is a barky seal-like cough that is usually worse at night and may cause severe respiratory distress. This illness tends to come on gradually, which is usually in the late fall or early winter, as an upper respiratory tract infection. The cough, hoarseness, and strider typically appear one to two days after the initial symptoms present. Croup symptoms peak on the third or fourth day of the illness which is the first and second day of the croup symptoms and generally resolve over one week. Fever here is either absent or low grade and the child is non-toxic in appearance. Again, the child here is non-toxic. I'll insert an audio file for the sound of croup. In diagnosing this disease, x-rays are generally not needed because the diagnosis can often be made on clinical grounds alone, but are useful in excluding epiglottitis. The PA Neck radiograph reveals a symmetric subglottic narrowing of the tracheal air column, also known as the steeple sign. The lateral neck shows basically normalness, except for subglottic narrowing. The epiglottis will be completely normal. There will be no thumbprint sign. Here, management is mostly supportive. Antibiotics are not indicated because 
the infected organisms are usually viral. Here it's usually parainfluenza. Oxygen is needed to maintain SATs above 92. Hydration orally or IV if the child is significantly volume depleted from insensible losses. Here, if the child is in moderate to severe respiratory distress, you use two types of therapy, racemic epinephrine and steroids. This is reserved for children with resting strider and respiratory distress. Children who receive racemic epi should be observed in the emergency department for two to four hours after its administration in case of return to their pre-treatment striderous state once the effect wears off. For steroids, you give dexamethasone by the least invasive route. This is 0.3 to 0.6 milligrams per kilogram. This can be given IM, IV, or orally as a one-time dose. These steroids should be administered to all children with moderate to severe croup and especially to those who receive racemic epinephrine. Although most children with croup can be discharged, admission should be considered for those who have persistent strider at rest, are unable to tolerate oral fluids, have incomplete response to racemic epi or acquirable multiple doses of racemic epi, or have severe symptoms and are less than one year of age. Now we'll move on to bacterial tracheitis. This is usually seen in children that are less than three years old. The presentation here is a child will have a high fever strider and appears toxic. The parent reports that he or she had symptoms of viral croup like nasal congestion, barking cough, or strider for the past few days and then suddenly took a turn for the worse over the past few hours. Here the etiology is mostly staph aureus followed by uh, anaerobes and strep pneumonia. The management is to obtain immediate consultation with ENT and anesthesiology and to obtain an airway in the operating room. Once that airway is secure, then you can get your IV access, draw blood cultures, labs, give antibiotics, and obtain scrapings from the trachea for culture and gram stain. Backing up a little bit, a really good thing to realize when dealing with peds and airway emergencies is that bad airways with infection and a toxic looking kid means that you must go to the operating room first before you do anything else. Go to the operating room, get that airway, then get your IV, your labs, and give your antibiotics. You will also admit patients with bacterial tracheitis to the ICU. Now I'll talk about retropharyngeal abscess. The usual age group for this is six months to six years, with a peak incidence of around four years old. Here, this will be a toxic-appearing child with fever, sore throat, neck stiffness, drooling, and refusing to eat. The incidence here declines after six years old because the lymph nodes that provide a tract to this space will atrophy. In older children, this is usually secondary to trauma or iatrogenic causes, such as walking around with a toothbrush falling, having it hit them in the back of the throat, or getting a diagnostic scope that was a bit too forceful. To make the diagnosis, you're going to get a x-ray of the soft tissue neck laterally. This is a study of choice and must be taken during inspiration with neck and slight extension to be accurate. It will reveal a widened retropharyngeal space in this disease. For a good rule of thumb, the normal width of the space is less than half of the adjacent vertebral body. You can also get a chest radiograph to exclude complications such as mediastinitis. The etiology here is mainly staph aureus, and here you're going to give broad-spectrum antibiotics, gram-positive, gram-negative, and anaerobic coverage. You can give a penicillinase, resistant penicillin for gram-positive, 
third generation cephalosporin for the gram negative and metronidazole for anaerobes or clindamycin and aminoglycoside. You're also going to get ENT consultation and admit these patients to the ICU. Lastly, we'll talk about bronchiolitis. This occurs with greatest frequency in the spring and winter months of infants two to six months old. Please compare this age, two to six months old, to the usual age group for croup, which is usually two years old. So again, those suffering from bronchiolitis will be very, very small. Again, two to six months old. The etiology here is RSV, or respiratory syncytial virus. You can also get this from influenza, parainfluenza, metanumovirus, but you really need to remember RSV. Here the presentation will be upper respiratory symptoms such as runny nose and sneezing before going on to develop lower respiratory symptoms like tachypnea and wheezing. Examination will reveal a tachypneic infant with nasal flaring, intercostal retractions, wheezing, rails, and prolonged expiratory phase. For the evaluation of these patients, you can consider a chest x-ray. If you have suspicion for pneumonia, the patient looks very ill or has rails, but generally this is a diagnosis that is made clinically. Here you can give something called Synergis or Palavizumab for high-risk infants such as those who are premature and those with lung or heart disease to lessen the risk of subsequent severe respiratory syncytial virus infection. The management is primarily supportive with high-flow humidified nasal cannula oxygen as the mainstay of treatment. So predictors of severe bronchiolitis include an oxygen saturation of less than 95% on room air, persistent increased respiratory effort, or apnea. Here you can consider nebulized racemic epinephrine and albuterol, however, however they are very controversial. For children with severe respiratory distress, you can do a trial of nebulized racemic epinephrine, which is reasonable, but routine use of this for management of bronchiolitis is discouraged. Additionally, steroid use is also discouraged. And that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening and see you next time.